Hey there, welcome to The Uncomfortable Truth. You know, this is called The Discipline of Learning, and here's what I mean. I get asked a lot things like, how do you write so fast? How have you published so many books? I tell people I go for volume, not accuracy, and that goes over half of their heads, believe it or not. How do you know that, I'm asked? How do you have access to that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because in grammar school, I paid attention. In grammar school, they taught us penmanship and grammar, hence grammar school, definitions of words, math and times tables, geography, history, something called civics, art and music, and physical education, among other things. The, the women, the, the uh, young women, had home economics and the young men had shop class. I know that's terribly sexist, but that's the way it was back then. And you know, <clears throat> I can recite my grammar school teachers, Mrs. Grothusen and Mrs. Steffenauer and Mrs. Fleming, and Miss Mandelkern, and Mrs. O'Brien, and Miss Barrettini, and Mrs. Lippert, and Mrs. Johnson, and Mr. Heitman. One man, all the rest women, kindergarten through eighth grade, and I learned one hell of a lot from them. And it stuck with me forever. I can't name you all my high school teachers, or my college teachers, or my graduate school teachers. But these people had a hell of an effect on me. And to, to know how to conjugate a verb, or how to diagram a sentence is invaluable. New math is stupid. Why can't kids learn the times table? Why can't they memorize it? It's as simple as that. Eight times nine is 72. But no, you've got to subtract, conquer, divide, and multiply, and then reverse to get to the answer today. You know, watch people at cashier's desks, at, at registers, and supermarkets, and newsstands. They can't make change. Even when the machine tells them the change, they can't make change. In those days, when the discipline of learning was important, parents supported teachers. You didn't go home and cry to your parents and they filed the lawsuit or went and demanded a teacher be removed. The parents supported the teachers. And the teachers supported learning and discipline. In the Catholic schools, of course, it was even worse. I mean, you had nuns with clickers who demanded rapt attention and carried yardsticks in the other hand. But even in public schools, you didn't mess around. Homework was homework. You were supposed to do it. If you didn't do it, you needed an excuse signed by your parents. There were open houses where teachers and parents would talk to each other, and they were held in the evening when no one was working, when people couldn't make it. High marks were praised. There was a list of people in order of their academic performance. It wasn't shunned in favor of political correctness. There were no prizes given out for attendance uh, as a, an accomplishment, but people with perfect attendance did get awards. So at graduation, you got awards, and people clapped and applauded. You couldn't wear jeans to school. You could change into jeans for physical ed, but you couldn't wear them to school. And of course, the teachers never wore them to school. The teachers were dressed. Mr. Heitman always wore a jacket and tie, and all the teachers wore dresses. Bad actors, you know, troublemakers, went to the principal's office and troublemaking with things like talking too much in class. And they were sent to the principal's office. That was Mr. Koss, a lifelong public school guy who was promoted from teacher to principal, smoked a big cigar, and you rarely saw him unless you were sent to his office, and then you really didn't want to see him. 
There were no guidance counselors. Teachers didn't become guidance counselors to make more money. There was a truancy official who went around checking on kids who weren't in school. He'd knock on the doors at home. He'd look in playgrounds. He'd, look the city, he'd walk the city streets to see where they were. And if you were truant, he'd deliver you back to school and your parents would be notified. You couldn't simply cut class. We had visiting special expert teachers. Once or twice a month, someone would come around and teach us about art. And we'd learn how to look at light, and we'd learn how to use clay, and we'd learn how to use watercolors. And, you know, I was terrible at it, but we learned what the principles were. We had music. I remember in grammar school listening to Aaron Copeland. I think it was the Grand Canyon Suite. And being taught how to understand it and what to listen to. And I was fascinated by how these art and music teachers just loved what they did. There were spelling competitions. You got up in your classroom, split it in two, boys and girls on you know both sides, didn't matter, and you stayed in until everybody was out having spelled something. Well, the last person was the winner, and that side won. But you won things. There were winners and losers. There were athletic competitions. We played all kinds of games, you know, dodgeball and kickball and murder ball and volleyball, and people won and people lost. There were dances. Put on 45 RPM records, and we danced in 7th and 8th grade, and we learned etiquette. We learned how to ask a woman to dance. We learned how to act right. All these things were in grammar school. My point, as you might imagine, is we've stopped preparing kids today. We have more guidance counselors, quote unquote, than ever before, and more lost kids than ever before. How could that be? The new math, as I mentioned, is insane. What we're asking kids to master is ridiculous. We're more, we are more focused on gender rights and identities than we are on learning. And that occurs in grammar school and high school and college. The faculty is more concerned with these issues of identity and rights than they are with learning. In high school, you know, we had to deal with bullies. But you also had to take Latin and physics and chemistry. These were required courses if you, certainly if you were pre-college. We learned to parallel park. We took two years of driver's ed. One was called theory, and we learned how to use directional signals. That's a skill that's lost here in Rhode Island. And then behind the wheel when we were 16, because you got your license at 17, and we learned, among other things, how to parallel park, a total absence of which occurs here in Rhode Island. People don't know how to do it. They're never trained. There is no schooling in driver's ed here. We had class rankings. In high school, we had a valedictorian, a salutatorian, who the valedictorian delivered the commencement speech. There was a top 10 in the class. I finished number seven. No one worried about that. We all talked to each other about how we did on the SATs. In college, at Rutgers, we had formal debates. And people went together raucously about the ROTC and Vietnam and civil rights. But they were debates. Both sides were heard. And while they were loud and boisterous as things are in college, they were real debates. It wasn't one side shouting the other side down. It wasn't a demand that someone couldn't be heard. There were no safe zones for the love of God. And there were no trigger warnings. 
We read classic literature, some of which is tough. So what? And we were offered in college Russian and journalism and geology. And again, in college, we had class rankings. I have a minor in geology. Can you imagine? I know what an intrusive sill is. In Iceland, from which I just returned, not to return back, everyone heads for college. And some ridiculous percentage of Icelanders go to college. And by the way, some ridiculous percentage of Icelanders also are divorced. But they're going to have a shortage of electricians and plumbers and carpenters and masons. They can see this already. There's a tremendous building boom because of the tourism. You know, 330,000 people live there and they get something like a million and a half tourists a year. So the building boom's incredible. But they're going to run out of the talent and labor for these very important blue-collar jobs. Not everyone needs a college degree, but everyone does need a command of language, an understanding of history, a comprehension of geography. I find that people can't tell you where Bolivia is. They don't know that North and South Korea are attached in our separate countries. They can't put the great revolutions of the world, Russian, French, English, and American, in the proper order. They don't know if Lincoln lived before or after World War II. And I've got news for you. If you can't understand history and geography, you don't know where you are and you don't know your place in wherever you are. But that's a shortcoming today because we're not preparing kids. If you can't do math in your head, if you tend to say, between you and I, I'm sorry, but I think you're uneducated. And the person who just may think you're uneducated might hold opportunity for you, or a new job, or a selection, or a promotion, or the hand of their daughter, or an introduction to their son. Everybody making key decisions might not hold these same feelings, but some do, and you never know who they are. I hold you in less respect if you can't use your silverware and you can't use your grammar and you can't use math correctly. Is that my character flaw or is that your shortcoming? It's the uncomfortable truth.